Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Doug Ramshaw, who's the CEO of Monero Alamos. They're a slightly unusual, if not intelligent, uh, mining operation. They are developers of gold in Mexico. They have two projects, Santana and La Fortuna. Uh, one's low grade, the other slightly higher at three or four grams. And we were fascinated by their approach to this. And I think the market is too, judging by the share price appreciation. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, Doug, how you doing, sir? I'm great, Matt. Good to be with you. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks for joining us. First time we've heard this story. First time we've spoken um, you know, about your project here. So I'm quite excited to hear all about it. But why don't we kick off with that one minute summary for people new to this story, and then I'll, I'll pick it up from there. Yeah, absolutely. We're a uh, Mexican gold mine developer. Uh, our first gold mine is under construction right now, but we're not going to rest on our laurels. We already have a second project waiting in the wings. I'm a big believer that if you're lucky enough to get into a gold market, the, the best way to play that is to be producing the damn stuff. So uh, we have every intention of you know joining the ranks of gold producers um early next year as as our first mine comes on stream towards the end of uh, this year so a very exciting time for the company that's great i think people are excited about the fact that this is a near-term production uh, asset and i think the share price has seen that's been reflected in the share price and seen, seen a little bit of a, a rise um since the sort of dip in march that the market saw um that said i'm interested in what's going in going on up here with you guys so what did you set out to do um you know and how you expect to build this thing out and you know what, what the end game is but first of all i need to start with you you've got a very strange accent i need to understand where you're from what are you doing there did you run away to the circus because you don't sound very canadian um yeah it's a little bastardized my accent now i've had almost half my life in canada having been born and raised in the uk so i moved over here in 1997 so uh, at least my family think that uh, it's got more of a North American lilt now than my uh, Hertfordshire uh, accent that they were used to before I came over. Right. And when, what was your training in? What's your background? Um, I, I did mining. Uh, I actually, I was very fortunate. I went to a, a public school where I could drop my best subject, which was geography and learn geology for, for four years prior to university. So I, uh, I, academically, my background's in geology. It, it, culminated with a mining geology degree from the Royal School of Mines. I, I now like to refer to myself as a mining geologist uh, because I kind of went corporate and finance very early on in my career. So I haven't been that geo that spent 10 years sitting on a drill rig. Um, uh, but yeah, background in geology and finance. Okay. You understand the big words. Uh, yeah, I know enough to make myself very dangerous at times, I think. But it, it's all up there in the dark recesses of my brain. Fantastic. Well, look, let's let's get into the business uh, plan, because I think that is the, that's the difference between companies making it and not making it a lot of the time, decisions made by the management team. So um, maybe you want to talk about your team, the immediate team who kind of put this thing together and what was it you set out to try to do? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think there were a number of core competencies of our group. Um, primarily, we are an operating team. Um, I, I have a lot of soapbox issues with the sector, including as an industry, we don't build enough. And then when we do build, we don't necessarily build with an efficient use of capital. So, so our team 
want to build things, not because it's the only other choice for a project we've ended up with. Oh, gosh, I guess we've got to build it ourselves. You know, that's what we like to do. Um, and we also do it with industry leading low capital intensity. And we're in a capital intensive business. Uh, so anything you can do to reduce that um, is very beneficial. And so, you know, we'll, we can build a mine for 10 million Canadian in the case of the one we're building right now. And whilst that used to get a lot of eye rolls and incredulous looks, you know, the reality is the team's done that before. And they've been together operating as a cohesive unit for 12 years in Mexico now. So uh, we understand operating in the country and we understand building stuff cheaply. And most importantly, uh, we understand building minds that work. So, so that's really the core strengths of our team. Okay, so that's core strength of the team. But what was the big, big idea here? You, did you find the asset first, or was the team come first? And you know, what is it that you set out to build? Yeah, well, Darren and the team down there, uh, they did this with a company called Castle Gold in two thousand seven eight. Um, and in the case of Castle Gold, it was a very successful operation. Uh, a couple of years after getting up and running, Argonaut Gold bought it, and it was been a foundational asset for Argonaut ever since. You know, this time Darren kept the team together and it was the plan for Castle Gold was to be a multi-asset company and then the takeover came. I, I think he and I both share the, the view that there was a lot of money left on the table. You know, everyone cries for, for, out for a nice liquidity event and exit strategy. I think there's a lot more value actually taking that platform and building still further. I mean, the building part of it is a horrible place to be at the bottom of the Lausanne curve. You know, it, it's like has its own level in Dante's pit, uh, even in a good market, let alone in a bad market. And so, you know, once you actually can build that initial production profile and we want to do it with a multi-asset approach, that's where the fun begins, as far as I'm concerned, because now you can look and think what opportunities are there to augment that and continue to grow it further. Right, so you've got the, an operating team. You say, we want to build mines because you think there's some real value to be captured there. And you, you, know, um, you may well be right if you do it, if you do it right. Um, how did you go about identifying Mexico as the jurisdiction that you wanted to operate in? And then how did you find your first asset? Yeah, so Darren has been down there for 12 years. Uh, he had one. He actually bought it back from Argonaut Gold for, to basically form the basis of now Minera Alamos, which in many ways is Castle Gold 2.0. I had been uh, parachuted in as president and CEO of a company called Corex Gold in the summer of 2017. And that company had a project called Santana, the mine we're currently building. I realized day two on the job, uh, day one on the job, I felt like I'd been rammed into a locker at school on my first day. And, and there was a lot of neglect there and, and stuff that needed to be fixed. And as luck would have it, I met Darren about two weeks onto the job. And we almost immediately started talking merger. Uh, there was a need for me to do something transformational. And what was really nice, it was a kind of deal that I think this industry needs to see more of. Normally, you they don't get done because there's either ego or valuation issues or a combination of the both. Darren just wanted to build stuff. I remember him asking me, what do you want to do with this if we did this deal? And I said, well, if we're going to do if we were going to build this company the way you say we, we're going to build it, I want to be a part of that. And, you know, the rest was history where, you know, within seven months, We'd, we'd announced the merger and, 
you know, we now had a very low capex bill that would allow us to get up and running and cash flowing. And now we could take on debt to build the second project. And Darren had a project which was low capex, but probably needed debt. And I think the last thing you ever want to be is a, a single asset company taking debt on. In the wrong market, it can it, it can just cripple you. No, okay. Um, no, I, I buy that. I, I think the that model is one which I think we're seeing more and more of at the moment. I, I think there was a period where people were looking to build out huge resources, millions and millions of ounces of resource, and hopefully someone would come along and take them out or save them the pain of, of getting into um, production. So I understand your model. Um, Santana was, I presume, the more advanced of the two. So that's why you went with that one? Um, it was going to be quicker to... Well, it, it wasn't so, so much advanced. I think both companies were kind of... Both projects were kind of similar. They were both low capital. Uh, but what, you know, Santana is ridiculously uh, cheap to build uh, at 10 million Canadian. So it, I think it was more a function of a capital cost of seven, eight million US as opposed to a capital cost of 26, 27 million US for the second project. And um, a very simple heat leach operation um, that was going to be quicker to get into production. But you're talking about a 25 thousand thirty thousand ounce a year operation for less than 10 million bucks that's it doesn't seem right if i scan that it doesn't seem right what what am i missing um well in heat i mean the big thing and, and i always and i've said it way too many times in interviews but darren has these elegant ways to cut costs not corners in the case of our heat leach builds and it's exactly the same way they built el castillo uh, we don't mind starting on a, a modest resource so long as we can see visibility on if we get up and running, we have additional resource re, resources we can define out of cash flow. And, and we can get up and running with, with heat bleach, you know, which is really, it's pad, it's a pad, it's ponds, it's a small in-house plant design. We're not building an ADR at site, so we're not producing Dore at site. So you save all that upfront capital of, of uh, the refinery, um, and instead we ship loaded carbon exactly as they did uh, from the El Castillo operation to a carbon stripping plant in Idaho, and and that saves on the op cost side and all that upfront capital as well. So it's pads, ponds, contract mining, contract crushing if needed, and and it can be done very very cheaply, not not cutting corners, but just very efficiently and cheaply. And Mexico allows you to do that. So, okay, so how much money, since you've brought these two projects together, how much money have you raised and how much money have, has been spent so far? Yeah, so when, when the companies were brought together in 2018, there was no concurrent financing. There was four or five million dollars in the combined company and there was going to be a need to do a raise. We, we, we raised five million bucks at the end of, or the beginning of last year. And at the tail end of last year, when we were putting the funding package together for this first construction, uh, our largest shareholder of Cisco Royalties uh, subscribed for a $6 million equity uh, raise alongside a royalty package. And so we, you know, I think we've now done three successive straight share financings, which I always think sends a strong message to the market, but I also think 
you know, has the benefit. And probably one of the reasons we've had a quicker rebound since March is you don't have those artificial caps that warrants can create. So sure, warrants can be a, a way of getting additional funding. But, uh, you yeah, know, we've so we've done about 11 million in equity over the last uh, 15, 15 months. And then there's some royalty package alongside that with the Cisco. And, and do you think having a Cisco board uh, has allowed you to do it from warrant-free, option-free? Because it, it, it it's very a la mode in Canada to have half warrants, full warrants at you know, whatever strike price. How, how have you got away with it? Well, last, last March when a Cisco didn't participate, uh, I, I needed to encourage our large U.S. shareholders. It's actually a good thing. We, you know, our stock chart last year was in a textbook as to the problems with a warrant overhang and the problems when there are no warrants. We, Darren and I, with our respective companies, there was a, a, a slew of le- legacy warrants, almost 83 million of them, largely done before our respective times and our respective companies, I might add. Um, and 37 million of those warrants were 10 cent warrants. And so they completely capped the stock for the first six months of the year. And as luck would have it, all of those warrants expired in a three and a half month period. And then the stock was able to perform afterwards. So it was really important for me when I did a financing in March of last year to say to our shareholders, look, we're about to lose our warrant cap. I know as investors, we all think it's a good idea to have the extra leverage. But I had this perfect opportunity of presenting, whilst that seems like a good idea at the time, look at what it does to the stock. And, and everyone bought in on that. And, uh, and, and really, it was with the support of, of our two big generalist investors who set the, you know, supported me on that and set the tone for the rest of the investors coming in the, into the financing. Well, and I would agree with it. It was one of the things I had to get used to when coming into the Canadian market um initially you know it, it's it sounds like a great idea but doesn't it doesn't always do do the uh, justice to the company's endeavors so um probably a conversation for another day because I, I, I you know I, I think that's a big conversation I wish more company companies did that and I think people looking at this story should understand the importance of that um let's get back to Santana because it's you're talking about um you are you fully funded for that build? Now, you've got cash, you mentioned. Are you fully funded to get that into production by end of this year, beginning of next? Yeah, yeah, we've got 14, about 14 million in cash right now. Um, a little bit of uh, investment stock in another company that's worth a couple of million bucks more on top of that. But I'll, I'll treat that as separate to 14 and a half million in cash. We also, when we did the, uh, the project funding um, with a Cisco, had an optional royalty facility on top of the NSR. We sold them purely so that when we embarked on the construction, we knew we had the necessary financial runway. And that's another $3 million we could draw down. I think very unlikely we'll need to, Uh, but it's very nice when you're making that decision to start a build, to know that you have appropriate financial runway. And, you know, because subsequent to the build, you know, obviously COVID came along and, you know, that's pushed things back to the upper end of our guidance for construction. And, you know, I don't think anyone would mind if we built a 25 to 30,000 ounce a year operation for $12 million instead of 10. 
But if you only start the year with 13 million bucks, that $2 million overrun is more critical than if you're starting at 10. So, so we have got the financial runway to do everything we need to at Santana. Yes. Are you, are you trying to tell me you've got a $2 million overrun? No, not at all. I use it. <laughs> so thank um, you for letting me. That. Just want to clarify. <laughs> um, so, so you did mention something else there. Um, you, you, you do hold shares in another company, which is um, Prime Mining. Somewhere here, we've interviewed a couple of times uh, as well. They've got a nice little project. But you've, sold, you've chosen to sold, sell down some of those shares. Why? We And, and when I did that deal with Andy last year, um, we always liked the Los Reyes project, is now called Guadalupe de Los Reyes, when we had it. Uh, it became the third project in our pipeline, and it had some significant cash payments due to, to Vista Gold last year at a time where we were advancing things at Santana. And at the beginning of last year, uh, capital was a little tougher to get than now. So um, so I wanted to make sure you know, that if we, if we did a deal, it was with a, a company that were going to advance that project the way we would. And that's what Andy is doing right now. He also knew at the time, and I was very upfront with him, that we had about 2.4 million in sunk cost into that. So it was important for me to recover that sunk cost, uh, which we have now done. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, we, we still hold 3 million shares of it. And I, you know, with our belief of what that project can can do, uh, especially with the right team looking to actually advance it. Um, we think that our remaining stock is going to be worth more. But it, you know, there were certain things we have done this year and plan to do where it seemed to be more important for us to deploy that capital on things we own 100% than being a passive shareholder in in someone else's project. Okay. I'll come back to that because I do want to talk to you about what growth looks like for you in the future. Um, but I understand you felt you could do more with that capital 100% in your control rather than be a partial owner. I, I do understand that. So Santana, you didn't answer the question about timing there. Obviously, with COVID-19, every conversation we have at the moment, people are being affected by the ability to estimate when things are going to happen. But can you give it a go? Are you getting into production this year or next year? And if so, when? I, I hate the fact that I have the word fluid in my vocabulary as, as often used as it is now, because I think we've built up a track record of of being very good with timelines. And I think that's really important because if you if you can't get the small stuff right, why is anyone going to give you the credibility that you're going to get a bigger item right, like building a gold mine? And so we started the year with a six to eight month construction window. Uh, because of COVID, we're probably pushing the upper end of that. So instead of maybe having our first gold towards the end of Q4, we'll start mining in Q4. That's current. The current goal is and we'll refine that as COVID becomes part of every company's continuous disclosure. Um, it looks like mining will commence in Q4, first gold off the pad sometime in Q1 of next year. So really, you know, it's, this year is already flying by, not that far off and, and really not a major delay as a result of COVID. Okay, okay. And then what does what does what are you hoping then next year looks like with regards to just Santana on its own? Because obviously you're, you're pouring gold, there's revenue or cash flow what do you do with it? What do you do with that? Do you, how do you move? How do you ensure you deliver twenty-five to thirty thousand ounces initially? Yeah, I, I mean, even on the production goals, I mean, we'll we'll 
we'll guide 25 to 30,000 ounces in year one. But, you know, talking with Darren, probably in the back end of that year, we'll already start moving towards a monthly profile, which will be similar to what we'll see the following year, which is that project should scale up to 45, 50,000 ounces a year in its second year of operation. Whether it stays as a nice 45, 50,000 ounce a year operation or can expand to something we now think is more significant will be dictated by some exploration we actually want to do this year. Normally, our, we, we like to fund exploration out of cash flow, uh, but there is some important exploration we plan to do this year that will help guide our planning for what might be a larger operation. Um, and that will be some of the additional pipes uh, that we've identified on the property. Okay, so this is a fairly low-grade low um, operation, in terms of what's low-grade ore as part of this operation. So, um, can you give us a sense of the numbers around the you know, ASIC, etc., and so people understand what type of cash levels you're talking about generating from this project? Yeah, the wonderful thing about heat bleach, it's, uh, you know, uh, I know people like high grade. I personally like high margin and the heat bleach can actually afford you that. And in Mexico with what we're dealing with, which is a resource, which is probably internal resource, which is in the 0.7 ish of a gram per ton that actually reflects very well. say compared with the 0.5, 0 0.45 to 0.5 gram per ton of the, of the great basin in the U S. And it actually, it gives you a grade that allows you to build these things out in a modular manner. In year one, as we as we ramp up, we're probably looking at the low 900s on an all-in sustaining cost. As we as we scale up to 45, 50,000 ounces a year, it's probably in it. You know, we can look at maybe high sevens, but I I always try to urge on the side of conservative and and say low eights as an all-in sustaining cost moving forward. Thereafter, I don't think because we're looking at very discrete ore bodies, even if we expand, I don't see major economies of scale of one giant kit that will allow us to reduce it that much more than that. But an 800 all-in sustaining cost works very nicely for us. And it's why we model everything at lower gold prices, because we want a business model that can support the worst of times, take advantage of the best of times. And what's the life of mine there at the moment? Uh, initially at Santana, it's going to start up at six, seven years. Um, but we're, we're already with the drilling we're doing right now, showing that there is that, that brownfields expiration upside. We, we, in fact, for a project to meet our criteria, and this was the same with, with the asset that Prime took the option from us on, we have no issue with starting up an operation on a modest resource at three, four hundred thousand ounces, but we have to have the visibility on a project that can be a million and a half to in time. They won't all reach it, but but we will see both brownfields and greenfields upside to that. And it's a core strength of ours because you know a lot of companies that might have a half million ounce deposit that but they're not a, a mine building kind of team. Well, what do you do with that? It doesn't move the needle for anyone. And, it, and you've got diminishing returns on, on your cost of capital to expand it still further to a point where it still probably won't move the needle for anyone. And that's where a team like us can come in and go, oh, no, 400,000 ounces, 500,000 ounces, that works fine for us. We'll expand out of cash flow. Yeah, and, I, and it works for this model. And we will come on, I promise, to the growth component of, of this story. But um, let's get on to La Fortuna. 
Um, it's slightly different because it's it's a higher grade operation in that sense. So in terms of slightly different skill sets, slightly different needs. So uh, give us the basics on La Fortuna, please. Yeah, it's 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 a similar kind of redshift pipe. It's high grade. We we just came out with a PEA off a startup hit, a five year mine life in uh, late two thousand eighteen, uh, and that was based around about a roughly three and a half four gram open pit, six to one strip. Roughly 50% of the gold is actually recovered by gravity in the rest, and this is where it does divert somewhat from Santana and partly in due to the grade. Uh, we, it's a milling operation for the other, and so we already own a 2,000 ton a day mill, mm-hmm. um, and, and so the PA called for 1,100 ton a day throughput there, so it's nice when you do have a milling component that you've already got no milling bottleneck for expansion. Uh, with the mill in place and, and again our low cost builds, we are looking at a higher capex at 26 million US. Um, but it's sub one year payback at 1250 gold, um, get up and running, then expand the project both through brownfields and the greenfields on what we always make sure properties have large contingu- contiguous packages. And the interesting thing is no one's done any, apart from our studies, no one's done any real work on it since 2008, nine. Incidentally, when our team owned it in the past, we bought it back for a couple of million dollars and, and are gonna build a, you know, a nice high grade operation, which has all in sustaining costs sub 500 US an ounce. Okay, so Santana will fund this or you're gonna have to raise money for the 26 million bucks? How's that work? Uh, Santana, Santana's growth will probably dictate, and the upside there, that we'll, we'll reinvest a lot of the capital uh, at Santana into Santana to grow that. But what we don't mind having Santana up and running is taking debt on for Fortuna. Right. So we've already been in discussions with banking groups and, and gone indicative debt terms for 20 million US. So that coupled with some royalty money for, for Cisco, can largely fund it. And then Santana is almost the equity contribution. It just want you just have to have that one up and running. Okay, so nice but nice bit of structuring there, non-dilutive. I guess that's what people are buying into. And possibly what you're seeing a reflection of your share price um, about. Um, so that that's the kind of the one. That's the one. Okay. But these are both short life of mine. At the moment, you will be doing work. There's potential at La Fortuna to develop this thing out. But if you are to be, and you talk about it in your presentation, be a mid-tier producer, you're going to need to do more. You've just yeah. sold down your position on prime mining because you don't control that. Are you trying to tell us that there will be M&A activity in the future? Is that part of the business plan? Oh, without a doubt, we the presentation to this day still refers to an asset number three in there as yet unnamed. And really, we're, we, we've looked at stuff. I mean, one asset we've been looking at for two years, another one we've known about for four years. Um, I would I absolutely want to solidify that statement on the front of our, our presentation. Yeah, if if you don't, if you're not making moves, it's purely an aspirational statement that a lot of junior producers come up with, and we want to be different from that. So for me, adding pipeline projects which have a clear visibility for when they can join the production profile, 
um, is something that I want to underscore in, in the company's development this year. Uh, whether it's one or two, um, I, I think that with one or two additional assets in there, uh, we can start projecting and the market can start seeing this is not a company set up just to be bought up. This is a company like virtually every mid-tier mid and major went through a phase of being a small producer. And there is plenty of room with the kinds of assets we look at to grow this company and join the ranks of them. And, and we think that that is a great business model. But you're, but you're of a certain type. You're, you're not an Equinox. You're not a, you haven't got a Ross Beatty in your back pocket. You can make these things happen. So you're going to have to target assets or companies of a certain type, you know, similar to what you've got now, and build and an accumulate, as it were, smaller projects, which you don't seem to be too concerned about, I, I guess, from what you're saying today. Yeah. In many ways, I quite recently when I, I've started in, you know, thinking about what we can augment our existing projects with, the way I've described it to people is we can be, you know, our business model is Equinox Light, diet Equinox, if you will. And, uh, you know, because Ross can, Ross can build Equinox with the acceleration of a Tesla. He can. He's Ross Beattie. And anyone who thinks he can't do that really does not know the man. And he will do it and he'll grow it still further. And in many ways, um, you know, with his cost of capital and everything, that, that, that makes sense. For us, we're not moving with the acceleration of a Tesla. We're, we're starting off with a diesel engine that is, seems to be slower to get up and running, but can be just as powerful when it gets to that point. And I think, you know, we can, we can build the base off the existing assets and then add on to it um, and get something which is quite formidable in its own right. It will never, it will never be Equinox. But the model we're actually following is something similar, just over a longer time span. Okay, let's dispense with the metaphors. So, how do you do that? How do you, what this uh, target number three? You I take it that you're looking at stuff. Everyone tells me they're always looking at stuff. They're always in conversation. How do you think you're going to move it uh, to being a reality? Because it, you know, if if you've got aspirations of being a mid tier. You are going to have to start, you know, putting. I'm going back to your metaphor, putting the foot down, um, and making it happen. Is that is that part of the consideration for 2020? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I'm. Uh, we have a particular pace, and we're not going to try to do too much too quickly. Um, you know. I, I I I mean I'm fortunate. I've had a career that's covered the early '90s uh, expiration cycle, and then when we went into 2000s, where we had this race for you know the metrics seemed to be all about how many ounces of resource you had in the ground and what was your headline production, really at the expense of the most important metric, and and, and the metric which is why generalists have not been investing in this sector for so long. We 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 lost sight of the bottom line. And I used to say, we'll walk before we run. Running is what gets companies into trouble. So I think because Darren and his team have been together for 12 years, we have a certain pace about going, uh, going about things. We're not going to suddenly change what has been successful to this point, but we are going to look to augment. There are assets we could go after which are 
more expensive and and could grow us quicker uh and and there are things that we could pick up which are, are, are remarkably cheap because we have a particular team and mindset that can actually develop them um and and i think it will be a combination of those two things okay so if i look at um santana you're talking about 25 30 guidance maybe getting up to 40 45 that, that's your goal right uh la fortuna it's PEA stage. How quickly do you move through the feasibility studies on an asset like that? And you know, when are you talking about being able to start contributing ounces or hoping to start contributing ounces? Given the financing, I think the way you're describing it, you know, could could work. Well, this is where fluid comes back in again because we saw it when Fortuna right now. If we didn't do another deal, we'd be making a construction decision on Fortuna around year end. Um, and we'll make sure that we've finalized debt uh, discussions ahead of that. If we augment our, our pipeline with another asset, it's quite conceivable that the scheduling changes again and, and something else comes in ahead of Fortuna. Um, and I say that only because right now, when we're constructing our first mine, we have to talk about things from a sequential point of view. In many ways, I think once Santana's up and running, you could make a very strong argument that you don't have to build things sequentially. You do now have some capital and bandwidth to be able to have a certain concurrence of builds. Um, but it, it is conceivable that there is a project we could do a deal on this year that would push Fortuna back a little bit, but not too far. It's just, um, it's a bandwidth thing. It's making sure that you're not trying to do too much at, at one time. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about a scenario where you, you don't close another deal. You focus on La Fortuna. Um, your PEA stage. So people will be looking at this and going, well, you need to do your pre-feasibility, you need to do your feasibility, and then you need a DFS, and then you make a construction decision, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's the normal process. You're obviously talking about skip, skipping a few phases there, are you? Yeah, we are. Like that will that will be built off a of PEA, right? Um, and and we, we have no issue doing that. And in fact, actually, the banking groups we've talked about have had no issue with that project. Either. Why? And the last. What are you saying to them? Because that's unusual, right? In in the Fortuna is a very special project, and that I mean to quote one of the bankers that was that they they ripped apart our model for it. They stress tested it. Um, I even do that. I talk to people. Our PEAs have become more like PowerPoints with less pictures and more text in recent years. And so, you know, I remember when we were doing the PEA, I wanted a 7.5% discount rate in it. Not, and, and I remember my, my banker saying at the time, but why would you do that? Everyone uses 5%. And I said, would you give me money at 5%? And he goes, no. And I said, well, thank you for making my point. You know, we, there are some deliberate things that were done in that to say, look, it can improve. A lot of times a PEA will be the best a project ever looks at, looks, looks like, and then it gets worse as you go through additional studies. I mean, our recovery numbers we use in there, we use 90%. All our test work shows 92. It, I think it's a very robust PEA. It has been ripped apart by bankers, and they say they can't break it. And it's nice to hear that. It's a confirmation of what we believe, but it is hard to break three and a half, four gram open pit. 
six to one strip. It, it, but, you know, and that's spat out sub 500 US all in sustaining costs for the project. But I tend to tell people when I'm looking at what our blended cost profile of Santana and Fortuna would be, I say, okay, treat it as PEA. Let's throw 20% on there, 25%. You're still around 600 US all in sustaining costs. It's an incredibly robust project. Um, and so, yeah, for us, we don't feel it needs to go to PFS and spend extra time and a lot more money to basically tell you something with a slightly better margin of error when you know you've got something robust enough that you've got plenty of margin for error in there. Okay. I, well, I guess the, the, the truth is in the, 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 well, the proof is in the pudding in the sense that if someone will give you debt off the back of uh, Santana, to develop uh, La Fortuna, that's the end of the argument. Whenever I give presentations, I make sure that when I say stuff, I'm going to be held accountable. And I, I, when I'm talking to you or anyone else, my mind's telling me that what comes out of my mouth, I need to be held accountable for three months, six months, a year from now. So whether it comes to our aspirations of being a bigger company and actually doing additional assets and not talking about them um, or talking about getting Fortuna built on a PEA successfully, you know, I, I, I look forward to the opportunity of being able to demonstrate that Darren and his team, which are the real brains of the operation, um, can, can back up, you know, uh, at the operations level, what I'm able to, to say on, well, we, I guess we, sh we shall see as the, as the year develops, um, for sure, on that front. Um, are you a big shareholder? I am, yeah. Well, I, I, I came into a company with 300 million shares out and I had 800,000. And to me, when I'm presenting to the market that this is a great opportunity, it was important for me to put my money where my mouth is. So I bought uh, 3.3 million shares out of the market over the last year and a half, about probably four to five hundred thousand dollars worth of my stock which is three and a half to four years salary uh into into the stock so i'm i'm very proud of actually putting my money where my mouth is yeah right. darren's done the he's done the same okay yeah he, he's put half a million dollars probably over the last four years into the stock and neither i mean we we both take 120 grand roughly a year from the company i think he makes few thousand more than me but we're pretty pretty equal in that when we split the roles um and uh and and yeah we we've both invested and and really uh you know eating our own cooking okay that's fantastic thanks for telling me that uh so because again we get we do get ceos on here who pay themselves hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and then claim to buy in the open market with the excessive salary that they've got so no that um it's very reassuring doug great first run through we've not spoken before obviously new to us i love the story um you've got a few things to deliver between now and then you've got a very unusual uh, model which i hope you can deliver and as you say the market will judge you if you don't so good luck thanks matt really appreciate the time Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.